Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Today's podcast is oh, not You were trying to, to, you were about to do like your, was brought to you by. I haven't done that in several yet. No. Today we're going to talk about empathy, the last of the PACE acronym, playfulness, mm-hmm. acceptance, curiosity. Now we're on empathy, where curiosity is primarily something that we do that's logical. Empathy is primarily emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, curiosity helps us uh, get to where someone's at. And empathy is where we sit with someone where they're at. So like when when we talk about sitting with something, you know, you can kind of imagine someone else's experiences or feelings or our own experience and feelings being in a chair next to us. What would it be like to feel that way? What would it be like to go through that? It's also really important as part of emotional development that we go through what we call a modeling process. And so one of the things that leads to attachment wounding is when nobody modeled healthy emotions for us. So for example, if you were crying and say somebody said, if you keep crying, I'm gonna give you something to cry about or some ridiculous statement like that, um, then, then you're invalidating the emotions. It's the opposite of empathy. And so then people don't learn how to cry and they don't learn how to express sadness, but then they're learning, um, they're, they get confused when they're sad and they feel unsafe when they're sad and they even get angry when they're sad because sadness has become now something that feels unsafe to them. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that when we talked about the emotions, then anger means something's not good for me. So when we teach through unhealthy modeling of emotions, that sadness or, um, Hurt or I know, we just did a whole bunch of podcasts on right. Like, I'm like, those all word? those big emotions, those ones. all those big ones that you were like, gosh, I didn't even know that 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 comes from the lack of modeling how to sit in empathy with those emotions. The reason why it's so important to have emotions modeled for us is because someone else being logical about a situation doesn't help us with our emotions about a situation. Someone else's logical brain is how our logical brain will respond to something. Someone else's emotional brain will be able to speak to our emotional brain. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a disconnect if someone else is responding to our emotional brain with their logical brain. It's like trying to speak Russian to someone that only speaks English. Those two parts of the brain won't be able to connect. And so someone else responding to our emotional brain with their own emotional brain by sitting in that emotion with us will be able to Uh, speak the same language and help us come from a place of intense emotion to less intense emotion. Mm -hmm. So for example, if someone is new to horseback riding and the horse kind of goes out of control or it's going too fast for them, a more experienced rider would be the best person to help them bring the horse under control. They'd have to be able to go just as fast on their horse, but in control to come up alongside the inexperienced rider and help bring that horse back down to a safer space. So just with empathy, we'd have to be able to feel something of that same intensity for someone else to feel understood and then bring it back down. So you could feel angry with someone, not necessarily at someone. Someone's feeling angry, like, yeah, that's awful they did that. 
and then bring it back down as we're coming down and someone else will feel understood. Some of the things that you can do to model or to match emotions is is that we can match our voice or tone and then step it down. So when we've worked with kids who are yelling, if I come in whispering, they will feel really invalidating. But if I come in with a louder voice and say, oh my gosh, it looks like you're really upset. Mm-hmm. And then I, I then I drop my voice a little bit and said, tell me more. I'm modeling for them. I see you're upset. I'm matching it. And now I'm modeling it and stepping down into it. And they'll feel the empathy because I was able to match it. Generally in matching and helping somebody calm down, I'm not, like Taylor said, I'm not expressing my own anger or upsetness. I'm showing that I understand theirs. You're holding the, I think I mentioned this a while back. Perfect. I think I mentioned this a while back. It's that holding the darkness with them, right? It's not the idea that I need to, I think a lot of people, they don't want to match it because they're like, but I, that's inappropriate. What they're doing is inappropriate. I shouldn't be part of it. And with empathy, first of all, we need to take out the idea of what's inappropriate, what's not. We can say what's safe and what's not, but appropriateness doesn't really have anything to do with empathy. It's more about safety. Um, and so when it comes to this kind of a situation, you're looking at it and saying, as long as I'm being safe, I want to show them that I can hold that emotion and they can bring it out and show it to me, but that I'm not going to shrink away and be like too much. Uh-uh, I don't want to see it. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like, cause that's what they're doing by yelling, especially like with all of us have worked in residential. Okay. Best example, because it's so black and white. You have a kid coming in, they're screaming at the top of their lungs. Okay. They're saying a lot of words that you do not hear in church. Okay. Like <laughs> there are just a lot of things going Taught us on. a few new words. Taught us new fears, a few anatomy things that they would say that do not make sense. Right. Um, things like that. And you would look at it and a lot of staff and even therapists and different people, they would look at them and be like, it's too much. I can't deal with it. My favorite actually teachers would usually be the ones because they were like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not the staff. I'm just here to teach math. You know, I'm just here to teach English. But they the kid would come in and yell and they would look at it and they would kind of challenge. They're like, I'm going to say all this. And what are you going to do? Right. Some people would go in and say like, Oh, they're being disruptive. They're being awful. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the things too, when we're watching somebody Mm -hmm. be upset, we're not being empathetic, right? We're observing. Mm -hmm. That's not. So if we're just saying, Oh my gosh, you're upset. And I'm now in my emotions about how I feel about you being upset. That's a Mm -hmm. huge empathy miss, right? That's not about them. We're observing. Yeah. Right. And remember this person who's yelling and upset was once in a room with somebody who was yelling upset and nobody showed them how to deal with it. So they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily know how to back down out of this. And so when you come in and you can say, and this in itself is empathy saying, oh, you don't know how to back out of this, right? Mm -hmm. And and go in and say, okay, you're yelling. And that's when we move into the matching like you're talking about. But even that idea of I'm watching it Mm -hmm. and judging it is very different than saying, this person's upset. Yeah. They must be doing this because they don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. And I usually go in like for me, I hear yelling and I'm like, I'm going to go running towards it because I'm obviously great with that. It's like my survival skills aren't great. And, but-, <laughs> but most people felt safer when you showed up. True. And same with Jen. You both had a very commanding, safe presence. We're just really tall. Um, I had a different presence. <laughs> Taylor was singing dance. Um, but for me, yeah. And Jen did the same thing. 
but I'd go in there. I, I used it not just with the, the volume, but I also would often like reciprocate the language. Um, Jen, you have higher morals than I do. So, <laughs> so Jen didn't do that, but I was about to say different, but no, you're right. It's high. <laughs> It's true. But I would go in and for me, because Jen would go in and she'd watch and she'd listen. And it wasn't like she was observing, but she was like inserting herself in the conversation between that person and the air in front of them. Right. She was like, I'm going to be the one that you can talk about this to rather than just be the person who's watching your performance. Right. And and specifically, I would ask questions about what they're feeling. Seems like you're really mad at so and so mm-hmm. or it seems like you're feeling really unsafe or you're. And that's, those are empathy questions to yeah. say, I might see it, tell me if I'm wrong, right? But it seems like you're feeling really unsafe or, or you're really upset. And yeah. if they said, I am really upset, and often they would yell that at a really loud volume, mm-hmm. say, okay, all right, I get that you're really upset. What would, what can we do to help you feel safer? And in that place, we're focused on matching the emotions and then helping them back out of it. Yeah. This is, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, for me, my, my technique along with that would also be like, I would, I would just copy exactly what they said. Right. And not in like a way that was like annoying, but in a way where they would say like, I'm effing pissed and I'm blah, blah, blah. Right. And they, and I'd be like, yeah, it sounds like you are effing pissed. Like it does sound like that. And then they'd realize like, oh, she's willing to hold that with me. Right. You weren't scared by it. You were put no, off by it. No, it wasn't. I was like, oh, what did you say? Right. And it's okay to also feel overwhelmed by what people say. I'm not saying like, don't have any, you know, reaction. But I think that that same thing applies. We're, we're mentioning an obviously more extreme scenario, right? A more extreme crisis and an attachment and how we formed an attachment in that extreme crisis. I think it's helpful we're talking about an extreme yeah. situation with empathy mm-hmm. though. And But I think the reason why we love using that example too is simply the idea that we're looking at it and saying like our partner, our children, whoever it is that we're forming an attachment in our day-to-day life, our colleague, Right probably in a more familiar sense with our family and things like that, they are going to want to have that attachment with us if they know that we can hold and not be freaked out by what they're going to present, right? You talk about like teenagers wanting to come out to their family. You talk about teenagers wanting to talk about suicide. You're talking about a spouse, you know, struggling with their own depression and anxiety. Half the reason they don't bring it up is I don't want to be a burden, Right. So they're like mentally and maybe sometimes action wise outside of them acting like the teenager having it a huge attack with it. Right. This is all a really good example of, you know, those statistics that are often shared that it's only six or seven percent the words you use. Yeah. And the rest of it is your body language and how you say it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mm-hmm. thought that was just Disney. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that was only an inside out. I don't know what you're talking about. The Little Mermaid too. also. Oh, I like Do not underestimate the power of body language when being empathetic. No, that's actually a really good point because the most important thing about empathy is only speak when your words improve the silence. Mm. So I want to give an example that's a little less chaotic, right? Something that people might feel like, let's say you're in an argument with a loved one and you're feeling really misunderstood. When you're feeling really misunderstood and the maybe the volume is raising or the tension is growing, sometimes we double down on being understood versus if I switched and said, okay, 
I'm feeling really misunderstood. Maybe this other person is feeling really misunderstood and saying, and just even acknowledging that, say, I feel like we're not really understanding each other. I'm wondering if you're feeling the same way. That's, I'm moving into curiosity and empathy and connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like you get me at all right now. That's so frustrating. I want to understand you. Can you help me? These are all movements into empathy and, and very similar to how we would deal with a crisis, but in a personal relationship. Also, you get a shorthand with empathy in relationships, right? So for example, think about a significant relationship when someone says something like, hey, my mom called today, right? Depending on that person and your relationship with them, that could mean multiple different things, right? So in one relationship, if I'm like, oh my gosh, I know this person loves their mother and they're so excited, how's she doing? Like I would match the energy I'm gonna assume and that's a level of intimacy and empathy that I'm showing. Mm-hmm. If it was someone else that I know, that mother maybe not is in a supportive person or maybe really is a hard conversation, I might say, how are you doing? What was that like for you? And so I'm going to mat, use that matching there and that even even without like naming the emotion by matching the, the verbal and nonverbal, they're going to feel empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you bring up a really good point too of empathy is, can sometimes be about remembering the facts of the person, right? Not that you need to know all the details, but you're mentioning this idea of, I think to have better empathy, you got to have like, it, it doesn't happen just in the moment. Empathy is also how you wind up for it. Okay. It's how you prepare the fact that you're saying, okay, they mentioned mom called. I remember them explaining how stressful it is when mom's on the phone. Right. Or I remember them saying when, you know, uncle Jim's going to be at the Thanksgiving dinner this week, them explaining why that's a stressful scenario for them. Which right? is why curiosity comes before empathy. Yeah. And so what you're, yeah. And so that idea that curiosity needs to happen for us to have really good empathy, because you could still be empathetic and be like, well, your mom called, what do you mean by that? Right? Like, but let's also remember, like, if that person's told you four or five times about what that means to them and how stressful they feel, you coming forward with that without having like remembered these things that they've tried to explain to you, I think can sometimes be a bit of a downer, right? So empathy is about using some of these things to like prep for those moments so that I could show up empathetically. Right. So you're mentioning this idea that like, you're remembering that fact. You don't have to remember every single detail with the argument that happened with your friend and their mom. Okay. And if you don't, then you just ask what you maybe don't know. Yeah. You, but you, you preface it with, I remember you mentioning something. I do this with like therapy all the time. I tell clients like they'll mention, did I tell you about this? And I say, in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many stories of different people. Like I can't Running remember. through a Rolodex I know. Clients I'm like, head. you're mentioning a friend who had an issue with this. I have four other clients who have friends who have issues with this who do the same thing. So I'm trying to remember which specific scenario you're meeting. But I'll look at them. I'll be like, you know, I remember it was a friend of yours that you mentioned. And I remember you said that there was a conflict with them last week. Remind me again what the conflict is about. And I'm always worried that I'm going to offend them. But automatically they always go, oh, good. You kind of remember it. And they quickly fill me in. And in that moment, I can be empathetic, but I can also be completely honest and transparent and say, like, I don't remember the specific fight you're mentioning. And I'll also just be honest and say, you know, I don't know if you mentioned that. And I don't know if I don't I don't know if I remember this. Can you can you fill me in again for it? But that's still presenting empathy. Right. I'm still being I'm saying, oh, 
I'm not just going to go join you in that area, like the Brene Brown video of going into the hole. I'm not just going to go join you. I'm going to have you first remind me where I'm going again. And then, yeah, totally with you. Let me just, let me just come along. Right. It's interesting, even Haley, as I'm listening to the tone in your voice, when you're saying, I don't quite remember, Mm -hmm. there's a humility of, but I want to versus like, and I will admit, I I have done this where someone's like, you remember, right? That (laughs) 40th person I told you about, I may or may not have people in my life who tell me lots of stories about people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, totally remember that. But you can hear in my tone, it's not empathetic or kind. Where when Haley was saying it, it's like, I want to, re- like, I want to connect, like, I want mm-hmm. you to feel. And so, again, that goes back to the nonverbal. But even empathetic of, I don't, but I want to, is yeah. really important because you may come across somebody and you don't know exactly how they feel. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, um, kind of infrequent but not uh, surprising complaint about therapy that I'll get when I meet with someone new or they tell me about a therapist they didn't like. They say, I don't want any stupid therapy questions. <laughs> and when I ask them what they mean, they're like, well, you know, like. Like this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like when I ask, well, how was that for you? Like, well, I just said my dad died. What do you mean? How was that for me? Because for some people, that's devastating. For other people, like, oh, I can't. I'm so relieved that my dad died. And we just don't know. And we've met with so many different people that had so many different reactions that we have to ask that what for some people is a dumb question. Mm -hmm. And an understanding that dumb questions are about curiosity. They're about the desire versus correctness and mind reading are about, you know, fantasy type relationships. Nobody Pride, reads yeah. minds. I don't. I apologize for people who market that they read minds. You are really good at lots of nonverbal things. I don't believe that there's such thing as a mind reader, right? X Men lied to me. <laughs> oh, well, dear. that is also a fantasy character. <laughs> Where I'm do sorry. we start, Taylor? <laughs> I'm, can you hear my voice? I want to be really gentle when I tell you. That's a fantasy series. <laughs> I know. She's, I don't think we have time for this. She's over here talking about how empathetic I can be in the now and all of a sudden like, you're kidding me. <laughs> you're a moron. <laughs> um, so there's a difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy is the ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. And compassion is caring about someone else. We often use them interchangeably in English, but they are very different. Empathy without compassion is often what people that hurt other people do when they do it on purpose. They know that it's hurting someone else and they just don't care. It's called dark empathy more recently in research. (laughs) Compassion without empathy usually involves like well-intentioned idiots. We're all probably related to someone like that. Can I give an example of compassion without empathy that I see a lot? And I'm gonna gonna pick on some uh, teenage parenting for a minute. So a lot of times parents have a lot of compassion. They love their child. They want what's best for them so that they will create a lot of rules and structures around what the parent thinks is best for the child. And there there are ages at which this is appropriate, but as teenagers get into the natural identity development, they're going to want to explore things that their parents have some anxiety about. 
And when we stay in this place where we're like, I'm going to tell you what to do and you just have to trust me, that's not empathy. There can be a lot of love. There can be a lot of compassion there, but it's not empathy. When you say, you tell me what you want to gain out of this situation. And that's how often I'll go in with teenagers and parents. Parents say, well, I just want them to be happy. Okay. And then I'll ask the kid, what do you want to do? Well, I, I want to figure out what makes me happy. And we mm-hmm. can realize we're on the same page, but we're almost using love to the point where it's restrictive versus saying, can we just own that the teenage years are about exploration? And if we stop him from exploring or them from exploring, you're going to move into a lot of resentment, even though a lot of good parenting comes from a compassionate place and then we resent it later yep absolutely Mm -hmm. that's a really good example when you don't have empathy or compassion that's where we see rounding up being a jerk yeah rounding (laughs) up people in your country that you don't like and putting them into camps we've seen it in lots of different countries and bad things happen when you have both empathy and compassion that's uh, where we have very kind, very helpful people. Uh, you can and it's be, required for intimacy. It is. You can be taught empathy. You cannot be taught compassion. You're mm-hmm. either born with it or you don't have it. There are a couple of documented cases that I'm aware of where someone spontaneously developed compassion later in life. But every attempt to teach someone compassion has only taught them empathy and made them more efficient predators. That's dark. It's super dark, yeah. So use it to connect. So I guess... (laughs) (laughs) So if we're looking at this idea of... I mean, we've talked about empathy, especially with emotions and things like that. But if we're talking about this idea of like, how do we use it in a healthy standpoint? How do we look at it as a way to connect in a positive way? I think... (sighs) most of our episodes, we kind of go into this idea of like, how do we summarize this at the end? Right. You're how always do we... really good to ask that at the end. Yeah. Like what, what am I going to do to get to that? I think honestly, this, the, the answer to that question is the three letters that are before this, right. We're talking about curiosity. Pac-Man. Oh, sorry. That's yeah. Not <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that's the Pac-Man song, but I think honestly, those are the areas that like, I think that's how we do it. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'll add that empathy is about sitting in a place and trying to see it from the other person's perspective. So when Mm -hmm. I'm working like with a couple and they're working on improving empathy, especially about like how it feels to be married to somebody who loves them, has compassion, but not empathy, I can say, okay, step back and let's pretend, um, And, you know, if you use a date, like if we had a fight on Halloween. So the guy that showed up on Halloween, this is how he showed up. And you might have some shame around how you showed up on Halloween. But let's just step back and say, what was it like for your spouse to interact with who you showed up as? And they can say, well, it probably sucked. Yeah, it probably did. And in that place, can you see them and say, hey, I'm sorry you showed up with the Halloween version of me. That wasn't a very good option. I, I can totally see how that was hard for you. And in doing that and recognizing that in moments we struggle and there are times when our loved ones didn't have a good experience with us, 
is is a good way to start seeing that from an empathetic of we're observing the same thing and we're instead of trying to fix the relationship and like gloss over how we were a jerk we're saying oh yeah that's hard to deal with a jerk i've dealt with a jerk before and that's hard and that's where so many people go wrong with empathy is that even just glimpsing at someone else's experience uh, we tend to move towards trying to fix it. And empathy is not fixing. It's not uh, defending why we did something. It's not agreeing. That's another hangup for people around empathy. It is merely sitting with someone else in their point of view and experience. And it's the reason why good therapy comes through coaching us through emotions and experiences versus rescuing us from our emotions and our experiencing. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We'd love to hear from you.